Welcome to the Vell Institute podcast. I'm your humble servant and host, Terry Weaver. Our mission for this podcast is to bring you stories about veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are doing fascinating things with their lives. Our hope is to inspire you because we believe that inspired individuals will change lives, both theirs and others for the good. Bell Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we're asking for your support. There are two ways to do that. One, by getting involved with our mission, and two, by contributing financially. Please visit vellinstitute.org. That's V-E-L institute.org to help us make an impact. General Hummer and I got to sit down to record this podcast, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about General Hummer. He was born in 1952 in Pennsylvania. He was the son of a U.S. Marine uh, who was also a World War II veteran. Lieutenant General Hummer retired from the U.S. Marine Corps on August uh, 1st of 2015 after 41 years of active service. He began as an enlisted Marine as an E-1, worked his way all the way up to a three-star general of the U.S. Marines. He graduated in 1977 with a Bachelor of Science degree in Psychobiology. He has various advanced degrees. Some of his assignments while in the Marines was a rifle platoon commander, company commander, battalion commander, regimental commander with 1st Marines Division, chief of staff for the Joint Special Operations Command, director of operations for U.S. Forces Iraq, deputy to the commander for the military operations uh, in U.S. Africa Command. Uh, Lieutenant General Hummer has participated in combat operations in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom. Over the course of his service, he's done over 20 deployments serving his country. This man is, is a great leader, and I'm excited about this interview because we really get to dive into his character, and his character is what uh, helped him get to the level of, of leadership that he was at in the Marine Corps. His decorations include the Distinguished Service Medal, the Defense Superior Service Medal, Legion of Merit with Combat V, Bronze Star, Meritorious Service Medal, Good Conduct Medal, and other awards. Currently, General Hummer serves as Senior Fellow to National Defense University, providing guidance, training, and education. He also works with uh, various veteran service organizations all over Houston. Um, Some of them include uh, Combined Arms, VEL Institute. Uh, There's a a prison ministry that he goes and helps out with. He's trained to minister and and lead incarcerated veterans. And he's just a passionate servant, as you will find out. Lieutenant General Hummer and his wife Sherry reside in the Woodlands, Texas, and boy are we fortunate to have him here. Hope you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Lieutenant General Hummer, retired after 41 years of service in the Marine Corps. General Hummer, I appreciate you taking some time to do this. Um, A couple weeks ago we sat down with another Marine, Josh Cherry, and we had lunch, and the first thing you ask us is have you guys PT'd yet? <laughs> and uh, so I wanted to return the question to you. Have you PT'd yet? Oh, today? absolutely. What time? Uh, probably quarter to eight. Okay. First thing in the morning or? Uh, no, not necessarily first thing. I've kind of got somewhat of a ritual that I go through. But uh, this morning did some uh, did some ab 
type work, some some planks, side planks. Um, I'm I'm having my hip replaced on the 17th of uh, of July, so here in another what two weeks. So I'm trying to build my build my legs, build my core. Uh, you know those muscles that lift your legs. So I've been swimming a lot. Got myself some fins this week, so put additional resistance on uh, the the legs and thighs and the you know the connecting muscles. And uh, and I've got the the mitts that I wear to give the the resistance for uh, for swimming. So all that I just want to be as fit, have the muscles as as strong as they can be for the hip surgery, so that then I can recover quickly and get back to things. Get back to running hills and. Well, I don't know if running is going to be in my my future with a replaced hip, but uh, spent a spent a career of running. I don't know. Maybe that's part of the reason the the hips going. Well, I'm going to do a little bio on you aside from this podcast, so we're not going to get too much into um, your bio, but that will be included. Uh, I had a chance to sit down with you and do some pre-interview questions and found out that your dad, and I also watched some other videos and and interviews, found out that your dad was a Marine, and then he went on to become a a Navy chaplain. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, not everybody has a great father as a role model. So I, I always like to uh, ask the question of people who have had a great father as a role model, what are some of the best lessons that you've learned from, from your father? Yeah, thanks. Well, th- you know, thanks for doing this, yeah. and thanks for everything you're doing with the, the Vell Institute. Thank you. I think it's great, and I'm humbled by, by being involved. Um, yeah, uh, so my father is one of my heroes. Um, joined the Marines when he was 17. Uh, in World War II days, 1943, uh, was enlisted, was in the Battle of Okinawa, which was one of the most hard-fought battles of World War II. Uh, he was at Shuri Castle and Sugarloaf. Those are names that are familiar with Marines. So within one of the hard, hardest-fought battles, one of the, the uh, toughest situations, the toughest locations. Um, his entire squad was killed in a knee mortar barrage, and he was wounded. He was medevaced, uh, eventually worked his way back to the States, and uh, was, was in a hospital recovering, and then was discharged from the, the Marine Corps. He went to school on the GI Bill uh, without the Marine Corps or the government's GI Bill, which is one of the best programs the government's done. Mm-hmm. He, would, uh, he wouldn't have been able to go to college. So he went to college, and at that college, they had a seminary. So he just you know, migrated right into the seminary, and he became a uh, civilian minister in Pennsylvania. He did that for 17 years and uh, decided he wanted to get back with the Marines. So at 42, 43 years old, he got an age waiver to uh, go into the Navy, and he became a Navy chaplain and uh, did 22 more years in the Navy and uh, retired. 68, 69, he was a chaplain for a Marine battalion in Vietnam uh, in the Aishaw Valley, which was uh, one of the tougher tougher areas to be in. So he was, you know, humping mountains and up on fire bases. And uh, then, you know, had, had a, a great career as a chaplain servicing to uh, the servicemen and women uh, wherever and however he could. 
he uh, got out, retired, and uh, my mother and he moved uh, to Pennsylvania. And he, after a short period of time, the, the conference there, the ministerial conference, asked him if he'd support some of the churches. So he was a uh, minister then in uh, central Pennsylvania again and did that for a couple years and then after that kind of really retired. Um, the other half of the equation is my mother. She's a saint. Um, she put up with two Marines in the, uh, in the family. She put up with all the moves, all the challenges, him being overseas, me being overseas, um, him being in, in combat areas, me being in combat areas. And she's now at the, in the conservatory here at, uh, um, in the Woodlands. A year and a half ago, we moved her down from Pennsylvania. So she's 95 and a half and plugging along, plugging along hard. But uh, she's a saint to uh, have put up with, uh, with the both of us. So, yeah, strong family, strong Christian uh, family. And uh, I'm gracious and thankful to God that I've had that, that opportunity. Do you remember any uh, specific kind of lessons learned from him, like some of the, the, the greatest lessons that left a, a mark on your life? I, I think his just his ability to service, um, service above self. He was the kind of chaplain that would be in the chow hall or the ship's galley on the mess decks at 5 o'clock in the morning when the, the sailors or the Marines had come in and he'd walk around with a cup of coffee and sit down and, and talk, talk to them. Um, it seemed like he was always, you know, moving, moving about, uh, to, to minister to people outside of his normal, uh, whatever Sunday morning, Sunday evening services. Um, he was a great example, uh, someone to be looked up to, um, so, you know, he was a Marine. I became a Marine. I joined when I was 17 also. Um, so just a, a lot of character traits, positive character traits, uh, both him and, and my mother, and just their sincere uh, service to uh, mankind and, and to the Lord. Yeah. I always like to share with people that... Uh, Words can fade, um, sayings can fade, quotes can fade, but your your actions, your example, is always there. Like people can't deny your example. Yeah. What you're doing on a day to day basis that can't be denied. It sounds like your dad believed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, so you did how many years enlisted? I did three years enlisted. And then, and then, uh, as an officer, how long? Uh, and ended up being 40, 41 years, so it would have been uh, 30, 38. Okay. Years as an officer. So a total of 41 years in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Man, that's that's fantastic. Um, I know that you're big on encouraging people to find their passion. I've heard you say that before in other interviews. Um, a lot of people will contest that. They just say, "Well, go to work and do your best." But why do you why do you encourage people to find their passion? The uh, if 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 an individual doesn't pursue their their passion then uh you know what what's guiding them and their passion would be what they want to do you know if, if if people set goals for themselves one would hope that they'd set those goals based on based on a passion in in life 
if they don't have that passion, then what, you know, what's driving them? And the answer is the environment is, is driving them. And the environment, depending on what, what happens, I mean, people can trust in the environment if they want, um, but then, you know, are they, are they really following their passion? They'll, they may always be looking over their shoulder going, well, I wished I'd have done this or I wished I would have done that based on their passion or, you know, what they feel that they're, they're being led to do. So that's why I, I think it's important for, uh, for people to have their passion. I, I mean, I have a story, an example that I've used with primarily Marines in, in trying to understand uh, passion, goals, and the environment. So let's say there's, there's a Marine getting out of the Marine Corps. Um, he did his time, you know, had GI Bill, um, and he played football in, in high school. He admired his coach, and uh, so he always wanted to be a, a, a teacher and a coach. And that, that's what he really wanted to do. That would be his, his passion. So uh, he gets out, and, uh, uh, of course, the first thing he wants to do is buy a truck. He's always wanted a truck, so he, he buys a truck. Gets enrolled in school and is going to school. Um, G.I. Bill's not going to pay for everything, so he needs a, needs a job. So every, everything's good. He's going to school on the G.I. Bill, has a, has a job, has his truck, and, you know, things go by. He's going through different, different courses, maybe even, you know, getting a promotion and a pay raise in his job. You know, things, things are looking good. Well, you know, as things go, he, uh, he meets a young lady. Right? They fall in love, have a relationship, and decide to get married. So they get, they get married. So here he is. He's, he's, uh, he's got his truck. He's got his job. He's going to school. And he's got his, got his wife. Life is good. Well, as things go on, um, they have a, have a child. So wonderful. So he's got his truck. He's got his job. He's got his school. He's got his wife. He's got his child. And... So not only kind of the finances are getting stretched a little bit, but time, time's getting stretched a little bit. So, you know, what, what's he do? He runs into a situation where he feels he can't, you know, he can't do all these things, right? So um, does, he, does he get rid of the child? No. Does he get rid of the wife? No, right? Does he get rid of the truck? Certainly not, right? So is he going to get rid of the job? Certainly not. So that leaves it down to, to school. So he drops out of school, right? And he, he works, and the job's good. He gets promotions over the years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, and it's all great, right? But then he looks in the rearview mirror and goes, you know, so many years later, he goes, you know, I wish I'd have, wish I'd have stuck with my, my goals, what I wanted to do, kind of put off some of the other things and, uh, you know, pursued my goal of being a teacher and a coach first, and then you know, kind of pressed on toward the, uh, what we might call the American dream. So I use that as an illustration, maybe not the best illustration, but, uh, you know, people, people seem to get it, right? Mm -hmm. So the environment, right, the decisions that people make, and then, uh, you know, we'll let the environment end up driving them. And then they'll look back and go, well, you know, I could have made different decisions and uh, could have reached, reached my specific goals. So let me ask you about your career, 41-year career in the Marines. Is, is your, is, did passion drive you to stay 
in the Marines for 41 years, what drove you to stay? I mean, multiple wars. I think he said something like 20 deployments. Yeah, I, uh, well, first off, the, the passion of being a Marine, being with Marines, doing Marine things, leading Marines, that whole, that whole relationship. Um, and you know, you know, you talk to, talk to any, any Marine and that esprit is, is there. Um, but it's kind of day by day, week by week, um, kind of whole different line of thought, but I, you know, never in my wildest dreams did I even think or care about becoming a general officer in the Marine Corps. Um, just wanted to be a Marine, wanted to be a company commander, maybe eventually be a battalion commander, maybe be a regimental commander, you know, the normal progression. But that's not what was foremost in my mind. Foremost in my mind was getting up, working with Marines, doing, doing Marine things, and, uh, you know, supporting our, supporting our great nation. Um, and then there was a time at uh, about the 25-year mark, coming up to the 25-year mark, uh, my son, I think he was uh, you know, 11, 12, not a teenager yet. But we had kind of thought, well, maybe at 25 years, that'll be a good career, and then and then get out and figure out, do some other things, spend spend time with the son and and uh, whatever. So it came up to that time, and it was right before a deployment that we sat down, had a little family meeting, and I said. You know, right after the deployment, it's going to be the 25-year mark. So, <clears throat> you know, what do, what do we want to do? We had talked about, you know, getting out, settling down, and, uh, you know, doing more things kind of as a family. And uh, it ended up that uh, they both said, well, you know, we like what we're doing. We don't mind the moves. We like the, the people we meet and all that. And I said, well, okay, then the next uh, – you know, when I get out, we'll be left up to the Marine Corps to decide, and it, it, it was, and it, it, you know, obviously continued to uh, to uh, to go out there. And then at one point, the you know Marine Corps decided, well, we pretty much don't have any four-star jobs for you, so you might as well retire as a three-star. So you'd made it to the uh, second-to-last uh, officer rank in the Marine Corps. Essentially, the only thing left to accomplish in the Marines was a four-star general rank right. and they didn't have any of those available at your 41 year mark right yeah so at, would you say that if your family would have said hey pops i want to i want i want to get some downtime and i'm sick of moving would that have ended it for you yeah i think so because we had we hadn't talked uh in detail about it i won't mm -hmm. say seriously but we we had mentioned getting out and um i was kind of letting that sink in in the family over over the previous years and uh because it was uh it was busy and uh my wife will tell you the pre-deployment preparation was almost as bad as a deployment because we were out for weeks at a time prepping and doing exercises we'd be on ships ahead of time uh, and then finally the deployment would come and it was almost a relief because it was a revolving door during training. We'd be out, we'd come back. We'd be out, we'd come back. This way, we get on ship, she knows, okay, they're gonna be gone for six or seven months, it won't be this revolving door, then they come back, and then they'll have some downtime for a while before the, the whole process starts, starts over again. So it's very, very rigorous schedule, and uh, 
you know, pretty much anybody in the deploying forces, uh, any of the services will tell you the same thing. Well, that, that speaks a lot to your priorities. I know you, you advocate for setting goals, but it sounds like um, maybe priorities supersede goals for you. So when I talk about priorities for me, God, family, work, um, sounds like because you, you know, if your family would have said, hey, we, we're done with the military thing, we just need a break, you would have you put them before the career. Yeah. Yeah, would you say? Yeah, the family would have been. So how do your the career. how do your uh, priorities how do you how do you handle your priorities? Um, well, uh, God comes first. All the glory goes to to God, um, and then uh, then family and service uh, for God. Uh, what he you know what he wants me to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know that that's that's my passion to uh, to serve. And uh, another passion is, is, is veterans. So now being been retired um, and not being with a, a, a Marine group every day, uh, it's not hard to find veterans in uh, the greater Houston, uh, Houston area. Mm-hmm. So that, that remains uh, a passion. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think, I think, my, my overall passion is, is to become uh, like Jesus, to, uh, to serve and uh, be able to do, follow God's divine plan for, uh, for my life or to continue to follow God's divine plan for my life. Excellent. Um, can you talk a little bit about goals and why you're such a big advocate for goals? I know you, you, you shared that you set uh, goals with your Marines and you have goals. So tell me about the importance of setting goals. Well, I've learned over over time and through some some level of study that only about three percent of Americans write their goals down and then follow through to achieve them, whether it's a bucket list or or whatever. A lot of people have goals in their in their mind, but the first step toward achieving a goal is actually the process, the physical process physical mental process of, of writing it down uh, and then uh, figuring out what the steps are to achieve that goal and then putting some type of chronological schedule or dates by those steps to achieve that goal when you want to achieve the goal. Uh, and then the last step is essentially take action. And those goals can change. Some of those goals may go away. Some, just by happenstance, may take care of themselves. Um, but in some form or fashion, to have a mechanism to be able to, to, to do those, those goals. And in, in the Bible, it says that uh, a man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Right? So, uh, again, it's in concert with what the Lord wants for you in God's divine plan, but you can still make your goals. You know, it's not, it, it's not out of God's plan for you to make your, your own goals, or I wouldn't call them my own goals necessarily, but goals, but then the Lord will, will direct your steps through those, those goals to, to achieve them. And he'll, you know, modify things as you, uh, as you go along. 
and then you can you can modify your goals and, and keep them going. So I've 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 uh, used that process uh, with Marines. Um, I'm I'm a mentor at the the county jail for a veterans uh, dorm or a veterans pod. Uh, I'm using that there because somehow uh, these the inmates the veteran inmates there have sabotaged their success because nowhere on their goal sheet does it say I want to get my fourth DUI and spend six months in jail or um, you know I want to I want to have a uh, a crash but uh, you know a crash and uh, manslaughter because of uh, because of drunk driving or I don't want to pay uh, spousal support <coughs> excuse me so uh, it's it's never on the goal sheet. So how do people sabotage their their success? And uh, so that's another purpose in counseling. So and mentoring. Got, got a lot of questions for you. Um, <coughs> when you go into a jail, uh, what what's how do you what's the most important thing you can say? To one of these guys who is essentially probably feels like they've hit rock bottom. What's <coughs> what's, what's most important? Most important. To say? How, how do you? What's most important to, to give to those people? That well, well, in the end, most important is to give them, if they already don't have it, is a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, <coughs> a lot of them have been brought up in. Uh, in the church, uh, but what what I'm seeing, actually, in the military, there's a lot of affinities also along with with folks. One of the challenges in America overall is a breakup of the American family, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I, I I don't know the specific percentages. I think I've read them somewhere, but well, here's here's an example. There was a a, a prison chaplain who <clears throat> thought it would be a great idea for the, the prisoners if he brought them Mother's Day cards so that they could fill them out, sign them, do the address, and then you know send them to their mothers. So he got with one of the card companies and proposed this idea. So they sent him all these cards for, for free. So he did that, and it was a big success. All of them wrote wrote cards. They sent them out, and it just you know raised morale in the in the prison overall. Mm -hmm. So he thought, "Wow, well that worked so well. So let's do let's do Father's Day, right?" So he did the same thing. Got a bunch of cards. Brought the cards into the prison. They they didn't know who to write the Father's Day card to, mm -hmm. right? So. It's an illustration of the challenges that we're having. I, I mean, you know, o overall, I mean, the country needs a, a revival, right? If you look at what's going on in the world today, in the United States today, the uh, <clears throat> just the the, the, the hatred uh, and the division uh, among people. But you, I mean, you see it in the, the media. You see it in, in the movies. Um, you know, in the Bible, it says what's what's uh, good has become bad. What's bad has become good. 
and we're, we're seeing that. Um, so the, the breakup of the family, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm an infantry guy, so my units have been, been all male, uh, but even, even, you know, girls growing up need that fatherly mentor, that father, father figure. So what happens is they, they don't have that and they need something to fill that role. Now, some will join the military and that, you know, those, those figures, those leadership figures are there and will provide that. Um, some, some don't. And then they get involved with gangs, they get involved with the wrong, wrong people. Someone that will show them uh, approval and acceptance, right? And then they, then they end up in, uh, in prison. So what can you do to help them? Well, one is to give them the ultimate father, the ultimate father figure who will take care of them. They can talk to Abba, Daddy, um, and that's, that's the kind of father figure that God wants to be. He doesn't want to be someone that you can't approach. He wants someone that they can, uh, as, as someone carries on their prayer life continually, they can be continually discussing even small decisions uh, with with God their father uh, so that's you know you try and convey that to them and give them a sense that uh, that they can lean on on God and acknowledge him in all the things that they do and and he'll take care of them so <clears throat> you know we'll have we'll have those kind of discussions and I, it's it's actually interesting that uh, you'll find some of the inmates really uh, really grasping that. And some of them have been brought up, you know, maybe their mothers brought them up in the church, but certainly, again, they've sabotaged their success in one form or fashion, and it's plopped them into jail. And you don't get thrown into jail for the first offense, necessarily. So your first DUI, you don't you don't get thrown in jail. You know, you have certain fines, you go to court, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, these uh, the, uh, the legal system actually gives people a lot of breaks before they actually incarcerate them. So that that's kind of one of the lines of lines of effort in dealing with not only not only Marines uh, or other services. I've mentored uh, other services too in my my joint commands, but uh, you know, kind of the same for uh, for inmates. And it, we're challenged as a country because of the breakup of the the family. Um, you know, we see that see that more and more, and uh, I I don't know what's going to interrupt that. Well, thanks for doing something about. For serving and doing something about it. Well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Let me uh, let me ask you go back to the goals part. Um, can I ask you about a few goals that you have over the next five years? I know you, you say you're big on goals, so what, what do you have? Yeah. To? So, um, it you know retired, moved moved here to the to the woodlands, meeting people, um, just trying to figure out what what I want to do next. And I was a mentor back to the Marine Corps for a while, doing some things with uh, various levels, various ranks. Um, but kind of bringing the perimeter in, in here to, to, to Houston. Um, but to, I, I could have gotten a Beltway Bandit job, gone into the uh, defense industry, um, and whatever, be, be chasing the almighty dollar, so to speak. Um, but what, what I've, it's funny, what I've come to believe is 
Um, being rich is not uh, having things that that you possess. Um, having you know a lot of a lot of possessions. Being rich is actually living without. Being satisfied and living without. Having a tranquil soul and, and living without, which is so juxtaposed to the, the going thought in, in our country uh, or in the world of progression, having things, getting bigger salaries, getting promotions, getting, getting bigger, bigger jobs. Um, so that, uh, you know, that, that's, that's kind of uh, always there for me to think about. But uh, looking for opportunities to serve. So right now my goals, I, I am, I feel I'm, I'm led to uh, deepen my faith and deepen my knowledge about the Bible. So I'm, I'm thinking about taking some, some seminary courses um, toward potentially a, a chaplaincy degree and uh, maybe expand what I'm doing. Uh, I am working with a nonprofit uh, called uh, Armitus that works in prisons and they call them the forgotten veterans. Uh, so these are veterans that are incarcerated in prisons. There's a difference between jail and prison. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I may, you know, be able to, to support them in uh, their prison ministry um, and be able to support veterans overall. Uh, I work with Combined Arms downtown Houston, which is a veteran service organization that supports, supports veterans, helps them across a myriad of, of different uh, areas that they may need help, across career services, behavioral health, uh, financial, legal, social, various areas. And we're looking at doing a satellite up here in Montgomery County. So that would be for the veterans in, in this region and kind of a, trying to make it a one-stop shop. They come there uh, because it is so challenging figuring out what the various veteran service organizations do. So you'd go there, and this would be a, a, a collaborative organization which would provide referral to the various organizations that they uh, they need support. So in, in all, the mission would be to, to get transitioning veterans or other veterans um, set up and stable in the community as quickly as possible so that then they can enjoy their lives and be contributing citizens to the, uh, to the community, participating in contributing citizens to the community. So, uh, to, so continue to serve, uh, develop my faith toward uh, Christian maturity, uh, work work with veterans, work with incarcerated veterans, and uh, just support the community as I as I can. You, you've been doing that for a long time. Uh, even while you were in the Marines, you kind of went above and beyond. Uh, you served with the Boy Scouts while you were in. <laughs> you did other community service stuff. So, uh, a question for you is why why the importance of service? Why go above and beyond? You, I was in the military, and some people go and they check in at, at 800 hours, and they check out at 1,700 hours, and then they go do life. Other people go, and they try to serve as much as possible. They do the same things outside the military, and that, that's you. 
what, what's the why? <clears throat> the, I mean, that's what Christ did. Christ served, and uh, we're supposed to become become like Christ. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, just just like I I, I kind of said that about wealth, and it's it's not what you own, but it's what you can live without. It's not what you can live with, it's what you can live without. Um, there's been a study, there was a study done I read uh, in psychology today, and it just happened to be a study of 1,700 women that uh, suffered from depression, anxiety, frustration, things like that. They came up with a program where these women could serve, could do something ab above themselves for others than themselves. And within one month, 85% of them were showing relief in, in those symptoms. So it's endemic. The, our society is so, uh, you know, pushing Toward so invigorated toward achievement and making more money and having more things, driving a better car, having a bigger house, mm -hmm. um, and it, it's it's actually affecting them psychologically, and they're not happy. They're not happy. Whereas when people serve others, right? It's service above self. I mean, just like being in the military. Um, and they do have a, a happiness and a tranquility that service service gives gives you. Um, God's God wants us to love. He created Adam and Eve to love Him and worship Him. Jesus preached. To, to love love people and that's what service is all about loving people as yourself or even you know perhaps perhaps more than yourself but that's not necessarily what's happening in society of course you look at what's going on in the media that it's just the opposite you know how much can I hate the other person how much can I can I uh, libel the other how much can I you know say say bad things about about things and then you have the social media that's just exploding uh, with the, with the challenges, um, so there's a I, I, I don't know that it's a phenomenon. I mean, it's it's throughout the throughout the Bible. Uh, there have like this this study that I talked about. Um, it shows that people are happier when they're in a service mode. So um, I, I I'm just comfortable that way and believe it's my mission in life to be able to serve and witness. So that's that's what you know. That's what I I do. That's what I believe I'm called to do. That's what I believe God wants me to do. Then the question is, how do I expand that? How do I continue to uh, to do that? And how do you how do I best use my time? How do I best use my resources to be able to uh, to to do that? Now some would look and go, well, you know, okay, you've already crashed through being a lieutenant general. You know, you've already pursued. You know, you've had that career and pushed on through um i i you know i i i can't say that i'm 
particularly skilled in any particular area, have any special talents, any uh, unlimited intelligence, uh, any strengths that way. So it's only through God's grace that I was able to uh, go through the Marine Corps uh, as, as I did. Um, so if, I think if we rely on him, he will give us more than we've ever asked for than we can imagine, and that's all in the, in the service of others. That's great. That, that, that's a good segue. I, I, one of the questions that I had for you is how important was faith while you were uh, advancing through the military, while you were leading Marines and, and in the military? Was faith an integral part of your military career? Um, I think it was always, always there. Um, there were certainly times when I was carnal and not listening to what God wanted me to do. Um, but in the end, you know, through his grace, he, he did, did bring me through, and I didn't get lost necessarily on any, uh, you know, the wrong paths or the wrong, wrong directions. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Satan is alive and well in the world and uh, provides certain temptations, gets your mind going where it shouldn't go. And that's why it's important that you know we we rebound mm -hmm. and uh, come back to uh, come back to the Lord and His promises. That's great. I uh, just a quick side note. I, I often think back to the time when I was deployed in Iraq, and I can't remember one time that I prayed. I was saved. I can't remember one time that I prayed and asked for God to protect me. And that should have been the first thing right, right. that I was doing. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting how war. Uh, affects our spiritual life. Um, let me ask you uh, about your greatest accomplishment in the Marine Corps. Think back 41 years. I know this is a tough question, but can you, can you come up with a greatest accomplishment? Well, so um, I, had a, I had a great career. I mean, really, really interesting. I, I didn't spend a lot of time at headquarters. I was very operational throughout my career, um, and in in the Marines did uh, I mean the, the 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 Marines version of special operations did uh, <clears throat> training for hostage rescue and recovery for uh, gas and oil platform takedowns for ship takedowns out at sea um, raids we did small boat raids over the horizon so we'd come in drop off they'd drop us off of a bigger vessel 15 miles out we would navigate into a beach landing site and then go inland and do a raid at a certain area come back out and get back out across the horizon before dawn um, and this is before gps so we were using richie compasses and whiz wheels out there on the on the on the uh, the water um did that and then just by happenstance uh, was was in actually a special operate joint special operations community. I was the chief of staff for a joint special operations command at uh, Fort Bragg under under General McChrystal, and with Admiral McRaven as one of the deputies. So those are you know two names that are known. And Tony Thomas, who's got special operations command now down in Florida, he was the uh, the the J three. So we were both colonels you know, lived close to each other, worked side by side. 
um, and then was the chief of staff of Special Operations Command. Um, frequent deployments to, to Afghanistan, was acting deputy commander there doing missions into, into Pakistan and after Al-Qaeda. So uh, just a tremendous, uh, tremendous career. A lot of, a lot of, you know, just superb opportunities. Um, any of all and all, I mean, a lot of, a lot of noteworthy missions. Uh, it was the, uh, the regiment that I commanded in the invasion of Iraq that brought down the Saddam statue in Fudor Square once, once we got into to Baghdad, which was on national, national television. So I say all that. But I think what is most gratifying is every great now and then, while I was a Marine or, or even now, I'll get an email from a Marine that I served with saying how my, either my leadership or my example helped them, either, either good times or bad times, um, and those, those are most gratifying. I mean, they, they almost all bring a tear to my eye that I was way able to influence someone in a challenging portion of their, their life. Uh, one story I'll tell is I ran non-judicial punishment, captain's mask, whatever, on a lieutenant, um, which, you know, one, one would think that that lieutenant would hate me for the rest of his life. Uh, instead, he, you know, so many years later, he sent me an email and he said that was such a pivotal moment in his life. It caused him to really reassess who he was, what he was doing. I mean, he didn't do, didn't end up doing a career in the Marine Corps, but who he was, what he was doing. And uh, so, you know, when he got out, but he felt strongly enough about that moment and, you know, my some small leadership uh, there in his life that he took the time and effort to write me an email and say what that meant to, uh, to him. So I, I chuckle over that. Uh, I, I know you can't say specifics, but do you remember what you said to him in that moment, in that NJP, that helped square him away? Do you remember what leadership nugget it was? Well, no. I mean, there wasn't any specific words. But um, I, my philosophy has always been non-judicial punishment. It's called non-judicial punishment. Um, it's the intent is to get people back on the right path. They've, they're obviously there because they've sabotaged their success. They're not following their goals, whether they've written them down or not. Um, and it's get them, get them back on the right track, right? So non-judicial punishment allows you to kind of control their situation by either taking away status, by taking away rank, or affecting their rank, taking away freedom by putting them on restriction, or taking away money by fining them. So kind of those three things are important to people. And, you know, they give you the authority to, uh, to manipulate those. But that's, that's not the, the end. The end is to get people on the right track. So they look back and they've been stung by that. And they go, okay, I'm not doing that again. Um, so that, that's the whole philosophy of doing, doing non-judicial punishment. Too. So it's to get them back on track, get them in harness. But they... Uh, it's another illustration I've used is so you have you have two jars, right? And one jar you put all your 
I don't, I don't really call them failures. I call them less than the best results, right? I, I tend to say there's no such thing as failure. You just don't get the results you intended, okay? So you put those in one jar and, and keep that lid lid on. And then you have another jar with your successes, right? And you put those in there. You have that. And you have those two jars close by at any one time. Well, when you come to certain decision points, right, you may want to grab one or the other jar, right? Just to remind you, you may want to grab that jar of less than the best successes or less than the best results, open it up and, oh, okay, uh, I don't want to go there, all right? Or you may want to open up the success jar. Okay, yeah, that's the direction I want to head. And then, you know, you just make those kind of kind of decisions. Let me ask you, you said uh, your, your greatest success are these moments where people contact you and they say, thank you, or this really made an impact on my life. If you boil down all that leadership to what is most fundamentally important in, in leadership, what, what is that? What were you able to give to people when you were leading them that they followed you and they remembered it for the rest of their life? Hmm. I, uh, I, w I would say it's, I mean, it, you can't just come down to, everybody wants that nugget, sure. right? What's that, what's the secret to, to leadership? Um, I get, let me, let me, I guess if I were to say one, try and get it down to a nugget, um, well, it is love others as yourself. It is, but it's a sacrifice, right? So what does it take to be a leader, right? It takes time, extra time. It takes extra time. Leadership is 24-7, right? You can't get a phone call at, you know, 6.30 at night by somebody and go, oh, I'm sorry, I stopped doing leadership at 6. I'm closed now. You can't, you can't do that. It takes effort. I mean, extra effort. Because you have to think, okay, what am, what am I going to do here? What is this situation? What's it mean? You know, how do how do I how do I make that 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 work? Um, and it takes sacrifice of those things. Those things that you may have the the least of, time, effort. You're tired, and but you you give of of what you have to help help other people and, and get them on track. Help someone in in need. Right, because every everyone, you know, I approach most people or most challenging situations. When you see there's a challenge situation, um, but I deal with most people be, that they're they're not a full up round. Their their life isn't perfect. They don't have everything they want. They're faced with challenges and perhaps even tragedies. Right, and they don't wear those on their sleeve. Right, you can't walk up to someone and say, "Well, they've they've got a a uh, physically challenged or mentally challenged child, or uh, they're they're going through challenges with their their parents with uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, w whatever." They don't wear that on their sleeve. You can't you can't tell. But everyone has challenges. So if you approach them with that mindset, that and then try and find out, not that you're nosy, but just what those challenges are. And how how you can potentially help, you know, a lot of people who whatever blow up at work or have you know show some overt emotions about something about a certain problem. What they're emoting about nine times out of ten, that's not the problem. 
right? So you have to drill down and say, find out, okay, what's what's the real what's the real problem here, right? And then once you find out what the problem is, chances are you can help alleviate that situation and you know get them back on track. I ask you for a couple of your favorite quotes, and this um, what you just said reminded me of. Uh, <laughs> You said leadership is solving problems. As a matter of fact, this is a quote from Colin Powell. It says, the day soldiers stop bringing you their problems is the day you have stopped leading them. Right. They have either lost confidence that you can help or concluded you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. Right. So whether you're in business or whether you're in the military and, and have a command, whatever it is, a squad, a platoon, or whatever, <clears throat> you set the tone. Uh, it's it's said in the military. A unit will take on, or an organization will take on its commander's personality, right? Have you heard that? Yes. Um, so what's that? What's that personality that you want to put out there? We talk about commanders writing a philosophy of command. What is their philosophy of command? Which again, business leaders could use too. What is what is your philosophy of leadership? And then how do you promote that with people? Are you do you have a philosophy of fault finding? Right? Who's at fault? What happened here? I want to know. Right? Or do you have a philosophy of problem solving? Right? Fault finding, there's a little bit of emotion there. Maybe even it's fun, fun emotion. You're screwed up and I'm not. Right? So you kind of, oh, yeah, that, that makes me look, look bigger and better because you're screwed up and I'm not. But how does that help anything? Right? Is it solving anything? No. And if you get everybody pointing at each other going, well, it's not my fault, right? I'm not accountable for that. They screwed that up, right? What, what kind of organization does that become, right? But if you're a problem-solving organization, right, the whole tenor is, is different. So an example. So there was a businessman who belonged to an organization, and he was working a pretty, pretty big deal, right? Well, it, he didn't get the results that he intended, and he lost. It cost the company a million dollars. Whoa. So he comes into his boss, and he says to his boss, uh, so I guess you're going to fire me. The boss goes, heck no. I just paid a million dollars to train you. So, you know, that's an illustration of, as opposed to fault-finding, it's problem solving, and I, I think, you know, that that type of tenor, that philosophy of command, makes for a healthy relationship. And again, just like just like Colin Powell said, leadership is solving solving problems. And I mean, you can't go through a day without having certain problems. But it's your attitude and how you handle those problems. But it's also knowing that you can rely on somebody if you need additional assistance or even sympathy or empathy with your problems. Sometimes that, that makes a difference too. People just talking to someone about the, the issues they're having. Or the, you know, perhaps we, we have found that people talking about their tragedies or people writing about their tragedies, again, has a psychological, emotional impact on them. Just being able to, to air and vent makes a difference. And they can kind of walk away from those because they're not harboring those uh, negative negative thoughts about those tragedies or those challenges that they've had. That's great. 
I sent you over some pre-interview questions, and I asked one of the things I asked was, uh, what one thing did you learn as a general uh, that you wish you had known your entire forty-one years? Um, <laughs> so, your response was, "Generals work harder for their people." Can you can well, you elaborate on that? Yeah. Um, see, this is a different one. This is a different one to try and explain to people, and subordinates are going to go. Pfft. Sure. Right, especially you know a general saying this because Hollywood portrays generals as being lofty, out of touch, not knowing what's going on. Right? W would they say that about General Mattis? Probably. No, I, mean, I don't know. Probably not. Right? I think a lot of people, you know, have a lot of great. How about General Kelly? They think he's out of touch. You know, one of you just asked about General Mattis. I, I watched an interview on him. And, and somebody asked him to distill leadership down to one thing, what, similar to what I asked you. And he said, what, what leadership is about is the affection for your Marines. And when I heard that from him, I'm thinking, man, this guy gets it. He loves his Marines. He loves his people that he's, I mean, now he's the Secretary of, of Defense. But when I heard that, is that what, is that what you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, ab ab absolutely. Yeah, ab absolutely. So it's that care, you know, care for your folks, knowing that, you know, they've got, they've got challenges and perhaps you can help them in some, some form or fashion. If nothing else, you provide, provide an example uh, for them, but you help them through their trials and turmoils. A lot of, you know, a lot of Marines coming up, they think that they've got insurmountable problems, whether debt or personal relationships or something like that. Then you go in and talk to the first sergeant. First sergeant's dealt with hundreds of issues like this. Right, and they can sit them down and go, okay, these are here's some recommendations. They'll listen to listen to their challenges and stuff, and then you know pick them up, dust them off, you know pat them on the butt, and get them get them headed in the right direction. And if nothing else, the marine knows someone was there to listen for them and give them some advice. So your your style of leadership is caring more for your people than they care for you. Is that am I summing so, that correctly? Any any leader. Uh, should be working harder for their people than their people are for them. Now, like I said, you'll 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 never get the the people to admit that their leaders are working harder for them. But that, having worked my way, you know, up up through the ranks, um, if you're doing the right thing, if you're covering all the bases, you are a 24/7 leader. You never. You never, you never punch that clock. That clock runs throughout your career. And you're ready to serve them almost more or more than, than they're ready to, uh, to serve you. You're, you're, I, I rarely, as a lieutenant colonel, colonel, one-star, two-star, three-star, had people walking into my office telling me what a great job I was doing. It's a thankless position, isn't it? Le well, le leadership, yeah. I mean, it, it, it tends to be thankless. You get, you'll get, you certainly get critiqued enough. You know, there'll be enough people, you know, giving you their opinions. But you, you ask leaders who have come up through, you know, the ranks, not just military, but people who have come up through, right? And... Uh, those that have the right attitude, those that are showing those kind of leadership traits of caring 
for their their people, right? They, I think they'd have to admit, yeah, they work that they, they work harder. You know, we have all our different, you know, the corp NCOs, the uh, backbone of the, you know, backbone of the corps, uh, you know, lieutenants, back, backbone of the officers, uh, ma iron majors, you know, doing doing their thing. Um, so, be interesting to ask various corporate leaders, you know, what they what they think. But th I, that's what I have learned. Now, it's difficult. Again, like I said, it's a difficult concept to convey because people are going to go, yeah, that's, yeah. You, you know, you guys are up in the lofty offices, you know, with the nice view and the, you know, whatever, someone to drive you around. Um, so, well, like, okay, so I was CG in Hawaii. Commanding right? general. Just Commanding general for, for, for Hawaii. Deputy for Marine Forces Pacific, but the, the commanding general for uh, Kaneohe Bay, the Marine Corps Air Station, Hawaii. Gorgeous, right? Along the ocean, um, had a house kind of on an overlook, looking out toward the ocean, could look up at the the uh, uh, north shore, and people called it the, the million-dollar house with a $10 million view. Well, it wasn't a million-dollar house. It was kind of small. Had a good entertaining area. Had a nice backyard, uh, and people just they said, "Wow, you must you must sit in your back backyard and just you know, you know, contemplate the world, looking out over the horizon." Well, the fact was, I'd get up in the morning before dark, or before light, uh, get in my vehicle, turn on the lights, the lights would kind of shine out over the ocean, back out, go to work, work all day, come back in at night, drive in, lights kind of shine out over the ocean, turn the lights off. You know, go in the house, get something to eat, and probably you know pass out from a day's day's work. Um, but that's not the the impression that that people got. I had other people spent more time in my backyard than I did. I'd have neighbors playing bocce ball around the neighborhood, and they'd go through go through the uh, the backyard. But it it was it was all fun. But that that's, I mean, I learned a lot, and obviously in in forty one years. Uh, but I think that's kind of an important tenet that leaders need to need to understand, and that leaders, you know, probably, you know, they they probably think their bosses aren't working as hard as they are. When if they kind of walked a mile in their moccasins, they might see that their leaders are working pretty darn hard. And that's, you know, that not everybody was born with a silver spoon in their mouth and got elevated to the to you know to the lofty corporate jobs uh, because of other, you know, other reasons, whether it was inheritance or, or, or otherwise. So anyway, that was, that was kind of one of the things. Kind of back to, you know, you, you asked uh, of, of quotes, and I think you also asked about Bible verses. Yes. And there was one that, there was a couple I put down here, but one of them I want to, want to bring up. It's Luke 14, 8 to 11. So, and I'll, I'll quote it. So when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But, when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, 
He will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of other guests. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think that's a great verse about some of the things that, that I've been talking about. Can you go into depth about that? Why you why that's one of your favorites? Well, it just it, it talks about uh, the servant leader, and that you should be humbled, and and walk with a level of humility, as opposed to pride, and walk with a level of of pride. So that's a illustration that the Lord gave. That's right? good. I mean, the Bible the Bible's an amazing, amazing book. The leadership manual, isn't it? It's 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 the best history book. It's the best military history book. It's the best leadership book. Um, it's the best psychological manual. It's the best how-to book. Um, you've got Proverbs, uh, you've got, uh, you know, all the, uh, the, the things that, that Jesus said. So you have all these how-to books that are out there. You go into a, uh, or self-help books, you go into a, a bookstore or a library, you know, they have self-help books like, like crazy uh, when it's all, it's all right there in the, uh, in the Bible. Uh, so. It's, it, it absolutely is uh, is the best all-encompassing book. Teaches you uh, pretty much everything you need, uh, but it it takes kind of getting into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you really have to get in. You really have to read some stuff over and over. It takes me it takes me multiple times. I'm not I don't have a uh, photographic memory to pick things up and and uh, remember them that way. I have to spend time and kind of meditate on on things and what what they mean, what they really mean. What's being said by the author, by God through them, and then what what that means, you know, to my life and how that can be applied to my life, or how I can help other people apply that to uh, to their lives. Let's talk about a couple of these other quotes on here. Uh, the one from Ronald Reagan. I see that you put that first. Some people wonder if they've made a difference in the world. Marines don't have that problem. So that's a fun one, right? And that that's a quote I'll throw out there a lot. I, I could easily substitute, uh, you know, people in the military don't have that problem, right? Because they, again, service above self, um, they, they, when they, they join, they know that conceivably they could be asked or not even asked to uh, give the ultimate sacrifice. They don't write anywhere like you do in a, you know, hold harmless agreement that, you know, potentially this could be hazardous. This job, this career could be hazardous to your life. No, but they, they know that, mm-hmm. and, it, and it, it could could happen. Uh, and so I think, you know, you and your experiences, I mean, you ask veterans, right? I mean, do you, as you look back, um, do you have any problems with your service saying, you know, I know what I was there for, I know those contributions that I was making, and I believe that I made a difference. My little slice of the Navy, my little slice of the Marine Corps, my little slice of the service 
you know, do I believe that I made a difference? And I think, you know, most people are going to say yes. So it's kind of a fun, fun one. Um, I know, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan, a very great man, great president. So that one, yeah, kind of threw that one, threw that one up there. He was making friends first. with that one, wasn't he? Yeah. Some yeah. good friends. Yes, absolutely. Another one here is uh, an ounce of performance is worth pounds of promises. Yeah, Mae West. So yeah, I thought that was a good good one too. So it just just shows you, um, you want you want to underpromise and overperform. So when you tell someone that, you know that you plan on doing this, 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 you want to underpromise, especially when you're doing something for for somebody else, and then overperform, as for as opposed to, uh, you know, making making certain uh, promises and then. You know, nothing, nothing ever becomes of it. I think maybe our politicians should pay a little more attention to, to that one by Mae West. Let me ask you about Luke uh, 16, 10 to 13. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Why'd you, why'd you put that down? So, very, very, you know, kind of important. I think a lot, maybe a lot of corporations ought to have this, have, uh, you know, Luke 16, 10 through 13 up, up on their, their bulkheads. Um. So whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. If, if we focus on the little things, if we focus on the, the details, right, then you don't necessarily need to worry about the, the bigger picture. The bigger picture will take care of itself. Um, and whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. So those that, you know, maybe break the little rules, right, can they be trusted then with the larger aspects or the largest, larger rules? So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth or if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who can trust you? with true riches, and we're talking about the true riches of, of heaven. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If you can't be trusted with other people's, how can you be trusted with your, your own property? No one can serve two masters. So there's a story. guy spent a career as a uh, carpenter and a house builder and a developer and you know spent spent a lot of years doing that and he wanted to retire went into his boss and said okay I, I'd like to I'd like to retire and his boss said well okay I mean we hate to see you leave you were, you were a great great builder but I I'd ask you one one favor could you just build one more house Well, okay, if I have to, just one more. So he gave him a lot, you know, gave him all the materials, had him build this house. Well, he, uh, you know, he's tired, didn't really, really have a passion about building this house. So he kind of cut some corners, maybe didn't use the best materials, you know, put the house together and finally, okay, house is done. And uh, told told his boss, okay, this house is complete, you know, thanks. Thanks a lot, and uh, now, you know, I'd like to retire. Well, the boss 
took the keys for this brand new house and handed them to the guy and he said, congratulations, he says, this house is yours. Dang, right? So he didn't put his best effort into that house and that house ended up being his, right? So when, when you, you do things that you believe are for other people, right, do you do them as well as you'd be doing them as if they were for you? Again, another, another philosophy that can be used in the, you know, throughout life, in the corporate world, at home, whenever. So when you're, when you're doing something, are, is, it, is it your best effort for whoever you're working for, or is it your best effort for the Lord? It's a good lesson. It's a good verse. I want to I want to share a little story about when I was in Iraq and, and just ask you a follow-up question to that. I, when I when I served, there were, there were these times that I remember vividly that kind of marked my life for I believe forever. One time was uh, we were traveling through Iraq and and uh, we were on the side of the road. We were in one of these quintessential hurry up and wait moments. I think yeah. we were camped out for six days on the side of the road in Iraq, and I'm thinking to myself, we're sitting ducks out. Anyway, a buddy of mine comes up to me and says, hey, Weaver, let's go help out a local village. The hospitals are abandoned. Everybody's you know, looking for medical care, and they can't get treatment. And I thought to myself, I said, you want us to leave all the Marines with all the guns, and you want us to get in an ambulance and drive over to a village and help people who are technical or enemies. That's the way I was thinking, a very binary thinker. And I said, oh, let's do it. I was just, you know... In moments like that, you kind of, you kind of think, well, what? I'm going to live to to the fullest. And so I went with this guy. His name was H and Three Resic. I'll never forget. We were out there treating young women and children who didn't have medical care. And out of the side of my eye, this guy flies up in a uh, in a little blue Nissan pickup. And my first thought is, this guy's yep. going to come and take us out. Yeah. But as they got closer, I looked in the window and I could tell they were friendly. This Iraqi man uh, comes out of the passenger. Door and shows me his leg and he has this massive dog bite on his leg that's infected and he said to us through broken English he said uh, uh, he had a dog bite and it was over two weeks old and he needed that help and his his thigh was probably the size of my wrist I mean he was in bad shape so we helped this guy and 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 he got out of the truck after we bandaged him up we gave him antibiotics right there gave him a couple weeks worth of oral antibiotics yeah. got out of the truck and, and hobbled over to us and gave us a hug and thanked us for helping him. And when he did that, the gratitude that he showed us just marked me forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I believe that there's these times where you go out of your way to serve somebody else and you open up an opportunity to mark your own life yeah, forever. Yeah. Any experiences like that that you can recall from your military history that, that really left an impression on you? Um. Yeah, I mean there were similar similar situations with helping the uh, helping the Iraqi people. Um, we and we, we had our uh, uh, fleet surgical support team also. So when we would find civilians that were in in hardships uh, or had been hurt in some form or fashion, um, you know we'd we'd medevac them or we'd uh, get them back, take them surface transportation back to the fleet surgical team. To, uh, to work on them. And then, I mean, after we got into Baghdad, um, 
we we weren't taking casualties. Um, so I mean, we would provide that that kind of support. But in just talking to uh, to Iraqis, and I did I did a couple tours in Iraq. I did the initial invasion, and then uh, actually I was the operations officer for Iraq under General Odierno in 2009-2010. Can you give us a scope of that? Can you give me a scope of that? What does that mean, operations? I was the operations officer for the country of Iraq. Okay, so you were controlling... So I was, I was the, the J-3, the operations officer for um, uh, Iraq. So all the, all the different multinational forces that were there working, I was the, uh, the guy working with uh, the, the staff and working with the various uh, division division commands around Iraq to carry out the, the mission that we were trying to uh, trying to carry out there. So how many personnel? Um, what for multi for Iraq? Oh, for Iraq? Yes. Um, because we were working our drawdown. Um, there was a point, so we we probably had, I want to say, 180,000 troops at that time over there, because there was a point where we were bringing them down to 100,000, and then, you know, to, and then by 2011 we were we were out. Um, there, yeah, I mean, there was just there's just all kinds of. All kinds of stories. Let me those. let me ask you about this. We talked about the greatest success. How about how about the greatest challenge? The greatest challenge while you served. Yeah. I I think and I think we we kind of touched on it. The uh, one of the greatest challenges was the. Uh, The folks that had come from broken homes, um, the uh, we had so an, an example, and I, you know, I tried to uh, hang on to as many Marines and get them through their first enlistment as as I could. So uh, we knew we were going to Iraq. So I, I had a a Marine who uh, his command wanted to administratively discharge him. And he had a long, long list of violations. And then come to find out he was bipolar too, um, which, you know, we're trained in leadership, but not trained in, you know, that kind of leadership. But um, didn't, didn't know his father. Um, his mother was having some serious issues at home. And uh, his, his, whatever, mother's boyfriend, I guess, had kicked him out of the house, made him join the Marines because he didn't want him around. And uh, so he'd had a, had a pretty pretty tough time. He's had some suicidal ideations, things like that. Um, so I, I again I looked at his goal sheet because uh, we had had the Marines do goal sheets, and uh, he had some actually pretty pretty good goals. And he was actually a great, very good artist. And uh, so you find out more, try and find out more about the the Marines. So I I I. He thought he was going to be administratively separated. So in his mind, he was going home. 
And uh, I think he was a corporal. So he was, you know, he was having some, some issues at that time. And uh, so I talked to his chain of command, and then I, I said, okay, I'm going to take him out of that unit, and I'm going to actually put him in my headquarters. And, and uh, what I would do is, is tell, him, tell him that and uh, put him in a different environment and give him, call it, another chance. And I'd, I'd write a contract with him that he was going to follow followed the orders, do the best he could. He wasn't going to, you know, do some of the mischief he had done before, wouldn't break, break the regulations, whatever. He'd sign it, I'd sign it, we'd each have a copy. Now, you know, wasn't worth the paper it was written on. But there was that, again, mechanical, uh, physical, psychological of writing something down and kind of making a pledge. And uh, so I... I Put him, put him with. I called his mother, and his mother thought he was coming home too, and she was, she was pretty upset. I said, "Look, we're going to take care of him. I want to get him through his first enlistment. Right? Then he'll have something under his belt. I mean, he graduated from high school. Wanted to give him another accomplishment, and then whatever he wanted to do afterwards." And uh, so I called, called her. Then, subsequent, subsequently, I called her again and said, "And we're going to war, and I'm taking him to war with me." Oh. So he, uh, he ended up being a uh, 50 cal machine gunner on one of the headquarters uh, Humvees, one of their, their vehicles, rolling to, uh, to Baghdad. Did, and I spent more time. I'd see him every now and then. I had him bring in his artwork, looked at his artwork. Actually, there was a time where I thought I was an artist and did some stuff, and we you know, showed each other some of our, uh, some of our sketchings. Um, and... Uh, he did a, did a good job, and we got him through his first uh, first enlistment. There was a time where he came up for sergeant, and I said, "No, that's not going to happen." But uh, but he did get get through his his, his first enlistment. Um, there, there's there's challenges. Those I mean I, I didn't have any uh, uh, tactical challenges. I didn't have any unit. Ch we never had enough money. Uh, to do the things that, that we needed to do, even in preparation for war. You know, you'd think the money coffers would just start dumping on us. I mean, I, I wanted to do a snap-on tools contract when I was a regimental commander, snap-on tools contract for my, for my Motor T. Once you buy the tools, you have them. And the, it's a lifetime guarantee, lifetime replacement with snap-on tools. I mean, a great, great company. I needed $14,000 to do that. I, I couldn't, even in my non-discretionary funds, couldn't find, uh, couldn't find that money to, uh, to do that. And uh, we actually went to, went to Iraq and went to Kuwait and then into Iraq not having all the, all the stuff we needed. But that's, you, you, you know, they say you go to fight the war with what you got, right? You can't wait and, and buy all this other stuff because it, it ain't there. Um, so I, you know, I can't think there were tactical challenges. Um, it, it all came down to the personnel, and if you you take care of your personnel, you you if it's kind of like if all your personnel are working on their personal and professional goals, and you have have that type of mentoring program going on, it's all all ships will rise on the rising tide, right? So if everybody is achieving their personal and professional goals, and their professional goals are are certainly linked to that organization. That whole organization is going to 
ride on people uh, becoming better, achieving their goals, and uh, and and achieving uh, as an organization all those those individual goals. Um, so that 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 you know tends to uh, tends to work. So the challenges were the individual people, bringing them up, bringing them along, undergirding them. And that doesn't mean some folks, you know, I mean, I discharge folks that just we, you know, we just couldn't, couldn't work with anymore. And, uh, but again, back to, I mean, we have some serious challenges in this country with the, 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 the family uh, breaking, breaking apart. And, uh, you know, with all the social media, with all the various things to do, all the uh, distractions, um, and everybody, uh, you know, trying to get promoted, trying to get more money, trying to buy things, uh, catalogs full of things that you didn't even know existed. And suddenly, now that you know they existed, you have to have it. Uh, when, you know, back to what I said, it's riches aren't what you, what you have. It's, uh, you know, what you can live without. Good. That's great. Uh, let me ask you about, um, personal habits, how you develop, how you continually grow yourself, uh, to, to achieve the things that you achieved, you had to continue to invest in yourself and, and grow yourself personally. How do you do that? Um, I, 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 I spend time in the Bible, uh, pray, meditate on the Bible, um, more now than I can't say that I was uh, as disciplined with that through my career. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, right? Uh, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity, or uh, meaningless, meaningless, it's all meaningless. Life is meaningless. Uh, it's it's a, a wisp that uh, occurs and then and then goes away. So Solomon Solomon had everything. He asked God for wisdom when he became came king after David. He uh, he could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for power, but he asked for wisdom. And then God gave him wisdom, wealth, power, most wisest, wealthiest. Um, but but then he sought started losing losing his vision, losing touch with God, and sought happiness in other things. Wealth, tried to get as wealthy as he could. Uh, knowledge, tried to study as, as much as he could. Um, whatever, sexual activity, had 700, 800 wives and concubines. Uh, uh, all, all of that, physical wellness, potions, things like that. And in the end, he writes Ecclesiastes, so uh, he wrote Proverbs as a as a younger man, and he wrote Ecclesiastes uh, in his in his kind of final days as he's reflecting back. And in the end, he says, "All all this is meaningless. What really means is fear of God, trust in God, worship worship God." So there's there's a guy. I mean, if that's not a a lesson learned. So uh, I, I really, 
now enjoy uh, reading reading the scriptures and uh, the nuggets, the wisdom that's in the in the scriptures, and then meditating and trying to absorb as much as I as I can. Um, I don't read a lot of fiction. I read uh, I'll read nonfiction. Uh, I do exercise enjoy exercising um, spend time with with my wife uh, communicate with the family uh, and then and then do things together and then look for uh, look for opportunities to uh, to serve so and make a make a commitment to that and like I said I'm I do want to uh, increase my my uh, depth of knowledge in the scriptures so perhaps getting some schooling on that. Let me ask you, um, what draws you to, to leadership and leading others, helping others develop, helping people set goals? What draws you to that? Well, I, I think it goes back to the, the passion. Uh, it's a need, and you just feel you, you want to you help folks. Um, I, like, you know, I, I can do with very little. I kind of learned that in, in Iraq um, when I was a commander and we w- were not established um, I slept next to the left rear wheel of my uh, my Humvee and uh, I, you know, I wasn't wasn't concerned about much I mean we were in the battle in the fight and just didn't didn't need much I, I was getting what I needed to eat what I needed to drink um, wasn't getting much sleep uh, but realized that uh, I, I was perfectly perfectly fine and there were there was a tranquility in uh, doing doing what we needed to do because just didn't didn't need much of anything just to, to do the job and to do the do the mission, and that's that's the way it is the way it is now. Um, it's just don't need much. <clears throat> so if I can help other people um, satisfy their needs, and maybe in the end they realize they really don't need that much either, to uh, to be joyous and to be be happy. It's not the things. It's it's. The circumstances of life are not going to make for happiness. And that's why you have people constantly chasing. That's why you have all the self-help books, <clears throat> all the advertisements. All these advertisements are going to make your life better. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. But I think what's, what's going to make your life better is what's in here. What <clears throat> loving people, people that you don't know, and God, God tells you, how can you, <clears throat> how can you love me if you don't love your brothers and sisters? How can you love me who you have not seen if you don't love your brothers and sisters who you do see? So love, loving your neighbor as yourself, you know, so you, do you love that guy that cuts you off on the highway and doesn't use his blinker? Um, it's not 
a love that says as a result of what other people do for you. It's a love as a result of what you have here. So if someone offends you and it causes some ire to rise, what is that? What causes that? Is it pride? Is it that you're not being respected? Right? It's certainly not humility and it's certainly not impersonal love for man or men and women. Right? So that love, it's, it's in here and it's the love that the Holy Spirit gives you. It's not what anybody else is doing. They can do whatever. Look what they did to, to Christ. And what did he say? Forgive them. Forgive them. Right. As a, you're known as a leader, and and uh, as I talk to you, I learn more uh, and more about what you do, how you serve. Do you feel like that's a once you become a leader, or or once you're seen as a leader, is there a responsibility? How do you see that? Is there a responsibility that you have to carry it forward? I I, I don't know how you can stop <clears throat> being being a leader um, I mean you, you you develop that I mean again you're looking you may not overtly be looking for opportunities to lead you know join a group and go okay uh, I'll be the leader um, I, th I think you just let let things flow and when opportunities do, do occur I mean there may be those you there may be something going on where you feel Okay, I need to step in, and uh, you know, help help work this, uh, or I need to step in and run for run for office, for uh, for something. Um, but I, I don't think you you just don't stop stop being a leader. I don't think you just stop serving the Lord. Um, I, I, I think you're you just continue uh, to to follow where you're where you're led and if those opportunities occur then you take advantage of them a couple more questions for you uh, if I left the country for 10 years and returned where would General Hummer be in 10 years from now that's that's a good question okay and I, I've, I've uh, when I do my mentoring I'd say what you know where do you want to be 20 years from now what when you look back what do you you know what do you want to what do you want to be? And uh, so, I think uh, I think I want to be a mature Christian, uh, have an in-depth faith, um, <clears throat> I think I'm being called to be a be a chaplain. So to be a chaplain for either the jail prison network or the hospital network or both um, and uh, continue to work with uh, with veterans and just uh, you know support the community um, as, as I can you mentioned some of your passions uh, Armidus um, and uh, there's a couple other but do you want can you share uh, where people can go to find out more about these organizations yeah, sure. that you support? Well, <clears throat> yeah, combinedarms.org 
is the veteran service organization downtown and then we'll the we're, we're looking at a, a satellite up here um, so that people don't have to drive the whole way down to downtown downtown Houston um, so that's one Armidus is uh, I think it's uh, Armidus uh, reintegration program and this is for uh, for veterans that are imprisoned and it's their reintegration there's really no uh, in the penal system there's really no integration portion to transition prisoners into the uh, civilian society um, there's a lot of programs to help them but there's nothing that is like an in-between house uh, especially here in Texas and for some of the more for those that are in isolation or in solitary um, because they can't be with the overall population when when their time is up their time is up and they they walk them to the the gate and they're out the gate and for the last I mean I talked to one guy he was he'd been in solitary for 19 years how does someone who's been in solitary for 19 years suddenly get back in society and, and adapt how, how do they perform how do they that guy could be in the supermarket you know next to someone that afternoon and you know how are, how are they so we're not setting them up for again we're not setting them up for success mm-hmm. you know and they probably in his his uh, goal sheet he probably didn't have he'd like to spend 19 years in solitary confinement um, so the, you know there there's some there's some challenges challenges there uh, but to to work with uh, continue to work with with veterans and then see where God God leads that on into the, the future last question if you were to recommend a couple of books or resources to people who want to develop themselves as leaders what would you what would you tell them to, to read or focus on yeah well obviously the first book is the Bible mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> where would you point them to start in the Bible I think uh, so the first book would be John I think the second book would be Revelation. I think the next book would be Daniel. And then I think the Gospels. And then uh, Acts, Romans, and the letters of Paul. And uh, that should keep keep you busy for a while and how about other oh ecclesiastes proverbs so whenever you read the bible you should spend a little time in proverbs and spend a little time in the psalms wisdom literature yeah yeah and uh and ecclesiastes proverbs and ecclesiastes uh there's just so much so much wisdom there. Um, so that, and then the next book would be uh, Rick Warren's book, A Purpose Driven Life. And that book starts out 
it's not about you. First line of the book. Yeah. And it's uh, it it's a it's a very very good book, and it talks about. Uh, so, what people need to ask themselves: What happens the moment after my last heartbeat? What happens? And if, if they don't have a good answer, that's a problem. And I've, I've read, to those, to those who understand, it need not be explained. To those who don't understand, it can't be explained. So, <clears throat> If you if you if you understand the resurrection, if you understand eternal life, it doesn't need to be explained to you. If you reject it, it's difficult to explain it to you. It can't be explained. Um, it's it's the key key decision. It's why we're here. And. Um, so our preparation, what, what what we're here for, is to prepare for the next the next life. And another illustration is so, if you would have had the choice to stay in your mother's womb, what have you? Well, no, not knowing what you know now, right? So you shake your head and you say, no, I'd rather be here now, right? But you didn't know that then, right? Put yourself in the mindset then. You're warm. You're being fed, right? You got transportation? Probably not. Probably not, right? right? But someone someone yanked you screaming, right, through the birth process, right, into, into this world. And there was some transition there too, right? So now it's the same situation. If you wanted to stay in this, this world forever, would you do it? There's a survey that's been taken, right? And it's it's been now determined that life is 100% fatal. You're not getting out of this life alive. They finally did a survey. Huh? They finally did a survey. So the preparation, so you're preparing for the next life. And you go, oh, geez, I'd rather stay here, just like you. I guess you would have been your mother's womb. When, in fact... You, you study the, the gospel and you see what life is after this. And talk about immortality. You have immortality. We all have immortality. It's just where we're going to spend that immortality, either with Christ or separated from, from him. So Rick Warren's book um, goes through that. And so it's, a, uh, it's a really, really good, uh, good book. And just by happenstance, it <clears throat> is the second-selling book in the world in the most languages next to the Bible. Incredible. Incredible. Purpose-driven life. It's, an, it's purpose-driven life. It's an easy read. It's a good book. And not unlike the Bible, it will change your life. And, of course, it references and goes back and is based on, based on the Bible. And then the... Uh, 
the, the last book, which nobody's ever heard of, <laughs> is called Tie-Ins for Life. And it's written by Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Shusko, Marine Corps retired. And um, it, it is a series of one or two page, one or two page stories that are just fantastic. And the, the one, one story, an interview with God, um, is, is really good. So some of, the, some of the things that came out of that, as a parent, uh, what are some of life's lessons you want your children to learn one to learn they cannot make everyone or anyone love them all they can do is let themselves be loved to learn to forgive by practicing forgiveness to learn that it only takes a few seconds to open profound wounds in those they love and can take many years to heal them and then the one which I quoted was to learn that rich a rich person is not the one who has the most, but the one who needs the least. So they're one and two page, uh, just vibrant stories uh, that have been, been pulled together and uh, a, a, just a, a really, really, uh, really, really good book uh, that, that I keep keep close uh, and enjoy enjoy reading. I mean, you can't remember all the stories necessarily, but uh, the lessons in those those stories are timeless. I'll make sure to list those books in the in the notes. I'll put a link to those books okay. in the show notes. Yeah. Um, I just as as kind of we wrap up, I, I was telling a couple friends and colleagues that I was coming to interview and I, and I told them that we had a chance to sit down and, and have a coffee about a month ago. I said, I got to spend some time with General Hummer. I spent about an hour with him. And, man, by the time we were done with coffee, I was ready to go to war with him. He's just one of those guys. <laughs> so you leave an impression on people. I can see why people follow you. And uh, I want to say thanks for 41 years of service in the Marines. And uh, thanks for continuing to serve and set an example. It can't, can't be denied. Thank you. Well, Appreciate thank you for everything you're doing, too. I mean, you, you've got a great service that you're, uh, that you're conducting, reaching out to people. And uh, I think the, you know, your your support and uh, having your program being driven by by God's divine guidance is is also important and certainly needed uh, very much. And the more people can reach out and, and touch, I, I think it's great. Amen. And look forward to working with you in the future as uh, we develop uh, combined arms in Montgomery County. Anything else you want to leave with the with the listeners? No, I, I just. Uh, Again, I, I, I think there's a reason that we're here. I think we need to, uh, to acknowledge that. And in the end, God will provide us more here in uh, this world and the next than uh, we could ever imagine if we just follow, uh, follow what he wants us to do, His follow his commands. So uh, thanks, thanks much, and God bless you. Thanks, General. I appreciate you. 
Our mission for this podcast is to bring you stories about veterans, entrepreneurs, and leaders who are doing fascinating things with their lives. Our hope is to inspire you because we believe that inspired individuals will change lives, both theirs and others for the good. Bell Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we're asking for your support. There are two ways to do that. One, by getting involved with our mission, and two, by contributing financially. Please visit bellinstitute.org. That's B-E-L institute.org to help us make an impact.